up, everybody? Welcome to episode 110 of the Ask LSC podcast. Crazy. My name is Harrison, Worship Arts Director here at Lake Forest Huntersville. Whoa, Nelly, that's a lot of podcasts. That's a lot. This is Mike Moses, lead pastor at Lake Forest Huntersville. Appreciated a couple of you, even just this past Sunday, who mentioned that you listened to the podcast. Hey, thank you for leaning in. Uh, and uh, that kind of thing is encouraging to us, just in the sense of you're a ministry partner who's leaned in to some of the inner workings and inner thought of our church. It just matters to uh, to have those. There's congregational folks who just who walk in and out, and they, for reasons of their own, they just need to receive. And then there are many of us who really have our head in the game and care about the state of our church and where it is and, and contribute toward that. Uh, so that was just encouraging to me. Yeah, and as a little commercial, if you are a listener of this podcast, which if you're hearing my voice right now, you are. Congratulations, <laughs> a listener of this podcast. We are guaranteed to only be speaking to listeners of that this is, podcast. That is right. We began this, as the title says, uh, as a way to, to uh, take some of these topics in a, in a direction that interests you, the listeners. So you can always, we haven't said this in a while, uh, but you can always email us at asklfc at lakeforest.org. And we get all of those emails. All uh, they pop straight up in our inbox. And if there's anything that uh, you, our listeners, would want to hear or a question that you'd like to bounce off of us, uh, we're always looking for some fun stuff to talk about on the podcast. So please, uh, please reach out to us. Shoot us any questions, thoughts, anything like that. Ask LFC at LakeForest.org. Yes. Yep. That is a fact. Um, hey, my favorite meeting this week was early Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, I was in the green room over at our at Westlake Forest with Aaron Gibson, lead pastor there, and Terrell Huntley, lead pastor of our new Lake Forest U City. And we were grinding and sparking each other and digging into God's Word, co-writing. I don't know if you say co for three people. Try writing sure. our Christmas Eve sermon together. And I am really jazzed about it. I'm excited about it from a standpoint of just some fun, keeping kids engaged. I'm excited about it because I think it's a timely message to the cultural moment and where people are personally. And then honestly, I'm, I, I think that uh, people that I like to think of as junior Bible scholars in our congregation who are more biblically educated than your average bear will notice some a little bit of theological heft. I'm, we're not going to do systematic theology in the Christmas Eve service, but we just really like how we're letting the text mm-hmm. drive something and and show a robust theology of the person of Jesus Christ. So mm. uh, while having fun on Christmas Eve. So yeah. that, that lowers my anxiety for the rest of the month mm-hmm. because I feel good about it. It's not fully written, but, but between the three of us, I, I felt the Holy Spirit. So Christmas Eve services are coming up like normal. We're going to do the same times as last year, one on Friday night, mm-hmm. the 23rd, yep. and then four of them on Saturday. Uh, most people won't be working, so it'll, it'll, I expect the service uh, attendance to be a little more evened out since, since Christmas Eve is on Saturday, yep. but I, I mostly... I hope that you are thinking about um, a one more person in your life or family who could use some connection, who could use some spiritual encouragement and a, a little extra peace in their life, and that you would take initiative to invite them. People are far more likely to respond yes to an invitation on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. even than Easter, 
uh, for sure, because it's not in the morning. <laughs> so it doesn't jam <laughs> yeah. up that part of an unchurched person's normal routine. Or, yeah. And right now, you might think of who is a de-churched Christian. That's a, that is a common thing that's being written about in journals uh, that pastors read and ministry people read. And so there are a lot of folks who've just sort of fallen out due to inactivity or willfulness uh, these last few years. And that I, I might encourage you to think of a friend or two. Uh, bec- if you're at Lake Forest, it's because you, um, the Lord meets you here through mm-hmm. our, the unique personality of our church. The Lord cer- certainly does me. So I'm enthusiastic about inviting people. And I'm excited about a certain family member who hasn't been here in a number of years and expressly wanted to fly in in time. Hmm. Uh, somebody in our extended family to be here is a very this cool. this will s- I can guarantee this is the only time this person is going to hear Jesus' name, mm. not in a swear phrase. Yeah, <laughs> for an, in the last twelve months, and I'm thrilled. So mm. I'm actually I kind of have him in mind as that's cool. Well, I, I'm excited because part of our job around here, Mike, us, you, and I, and and some of our uh, team that puts together services is to um, help help put the gospel in language and in music and in 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 terminology that makes sense to people who uh, are far away from church and far from God, as well as um, giving people who are who have been Christ followers for a long time opportunities to find new things and to grow as well. But we're yes, just and I want you to tell me, you all, give me feedback later if you notice. The little bit of heavy duty Christology in the Christmas Eve sermon. All right. Speaking of what you just said, yeah. <laughs> to that point, we uh, Christmas and Easter specifically are a couple services that we around here at Lake Forest and Huntersville we really spend a little extra time working on because we know you all have been so faithful yeah. in inviting yeah. your uh, your neighbors and your 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 other parents on your kids' soccer and football and baseball teams and extended family members. We know that we have a lot of people who uh, who fall into that category of yeah. uh, giving up on church but not on God who are going to give us a chance. So we, we really uh, appreciate the trust that you put in Lake Forest yeah. that we are going to not embarrass you. Harris, you <laughs> so. Harrison, you just covered for me. I got teary-eyed and fogged up my glasses thinking about the privilege mm-hmm. and also the pressure. Yeah. I, I want this family member of mine to know the grace of Jesus Christ the way mm-hmm. I do and for it to uh, enlarge his heart <laughs> yeah. uh, like the Grinch. I just want it so badly, and I, I know that's what m- – all of us have people in our lives we want that, and so it is our honor and privilege to attempt to speak to that. And please, mm-hmm. if you think about it, pray for me because that is my fondest and highest wish to be walking in the Spirit using my spiritual gifts but really holding out God's Word and Jesus uh, because that's what's attractive, not Lake Forest Church. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, oh, 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 one other thing. Harrison, this Sunday, mm-hmm. tell us about some special musicians. Oh yeah, we got some friends coming in. We're we'll going to have podcast out late, so people may not quite hear it. Before yeah, Sunday, well, if but... not, then they can hear our excitement after the fact. No, we're super excited. We have uh, one of our favorite things about the Christmas season, particularly, is there's such good, beautiful music about uh, the mm-hmm. arrival of Jesus, his birth, what it means to us. That there's been a lot of good art created about this season, and we really try and. 
uh, tap into that. So we're going to, we're going to be, uh, sharing a kind of a, a, a special music kind of song. And we have a, we have a full little string trio come into play, uh, yeah. with us on this song. We have one of our, our awesome keyboard players. Gnarly is going to be playing and singing with me on that. And we're just, it's going to be really, I'm excited for it. Nice. I am legitimately excited for it. So it's going to be really and cool. And are we starting this Sunday, um, with the sort of that gospelized, uh, Christmas Carol. We got we got some we got some gospelized yeah. Christmas so Carol action happening too. Don't, it's gonna be fun. Don't be late. Are you gonna miss swaying yeah. and uh, to the beat? That's right. And, We're gonna have some and fun worshiping with a gospelized Christmas song. It's, it's gonna be awesome. Hey, um, I forgot to say up front what we're really gonna talk about for yep. the rest of the podcast, but let's do that now. Let's do it. Um, have uh, Harrison? I rem- I took a. a one of my leadership classes in seminary uh, was by Bobby Clinton. He's a recognized expert in my world for that uh, leadership in the in the church world. And he identified uh, one one of the themes in that class was uh, the need for mentoring leadership in our own lives and to be mentors to others. And he identified a category of two categories of mentorship I had never I hadn't thought of, but it was very helpful for me historical mentors, uh, and that might be a historical figure who becomes extra largely important and influential hmm. in how you think or what you do or what you value. St. Patrick has been that, for, is that for me. Yeah. But then he talked about uh, mentors from afar, and he had a phrase for it, I forget what it is, but basically authors who really truly resonate with you, teach you, mentor you in an area of life or work, and that they are a mentor from afar. You don't sit down with them and go, well, so what do you think about how I should lead this meeting next week? Mm-hmm. But because you have steeped yourself in their writing and their content, they are a type of mentor to you. That was really helpful hmm. for me as a category, and I immediately was able to, oh, yeah, there's a difference between authors that I like and read and those who've truly become a mentor because I serial read them yep. or I go back and reread. I got to meet. One of the most important of those uh, in my life, uh, one of those distance mentors, I got to meet him in person and tell him my appreciation yesterday morning, Wednesday Mm. morning. Philip Yancey, a best-selling Christian author, he's now in his early 70s. So if you are a uh, late baby boomer or early Gen Xer, and in the 80s and 90s you were active in your faith— you would probably know of this author, Philip Yancey. Um, his best-selling books, I believe, of all time, well, there's, uh, is it called Disappointment with God? Is one of them that I've handed out. His books, The Jesus I Never Knew, was very popular. What's So Amazing About Grace, he has a new one coming out. But so an actual mentor of mine is uh, is why I got to meet this distance mentor of mine. You all have heard me mention Leighton Ford, who's a great life spiritual mentor uh, and friend. And Leighton, um, most of you don't know much about him. His ministry has been global and in South Charlotte. Uh, he and a, a Bible study that he has led for years of very high-level corporate leaders in Charlotte, sort of in the South Charlotte, South Park mm-hmm. area. They put on a leadership breakfast, a Christmas leadership breakfast, and uh, and they invite business leaders from around the city, et cetera. And I went to support Layton, but and, and they have an influential speaker. So this year it was at Myers Park Methodist Church is where they had it. It was probably four or 500 
men and women in wow. the room, all mm. all dressed up to go to work in South Charlotte or an uptown bank. Mm. I, I, I felt a little out of place. <laughs> yeah. um, Should have busted out your suit, that's man. That's not really my style. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but the speaker was Philip Yancey, hmm. um, and he was, and and so I, I went. I drove down there at uh, O'Dark Thirty, and there is still early morning traffic. Difficult to get into uptown, by the way. I I am a witness. Um, I didn't leave early enough. Um, and so after he was over speaking, and he spoke about grace and the need for that. The one thing. Christians in the church have that the world doesn't, that the world can't do better than us because we have Jesus is Mm -hmm. grace. Mm -hmm. And in this cultural moment as well, and he was eloquent and moving and I took notes afterward, uh, because I hung around a while with Leighton, uh, he was, uh, Philip was signing books and I went up to him and had some time with him, um, at the end, uh, uh, Yancey, uh, and I said, hey, I'm an EPC pastor. Philip Yancey actually is an elder in an EPC church outside of Denver, Colorado, and I had known that for a long time because I knew his pastor hmm. for a while and thought that was kind of cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm an EPC pastor here and know your former pastor, and uh, we talked about that for just a moment. And then I said, Philip Yancey, I just want to thank you for your influence on my life because his his books, The Jesus I Never Knew and What's So Amazing About Grace— are two very formative books on me as I was young and and entering ministry with Young Life, with InterVarsity, and then in seminary and as a youth pastor out in after seminary. Uh, in particular, what's so amazing about Grace um, just set me on fire hmm. to, to about a grace-centered understanding of the gospel that, by the way, was the essential kernel of... of the reformation, the reformation of our understanding of the gospel with grace at the center, <laughs> grace alone. Um, and his book was for people like me, grown up steeped in evangelical Christian subculture, was a, 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 a um, I don't know, a bellwether, a um, magnum opus that burst upon the evangelical world, honestly, and just put a name to some things of putting the worst of legalistic 20th century fundamentalism behind us and grasping again the gospel of grace. Um, So uh, I didn't say all that to Yancey. You should have. Yeah. um, (laughs) What I said was I planted, I was the church planter, founder of this baby church in 1998. And Philip... Uh, when I, we started out and I preached my first sermon series under a disco ball in a roller skating rink, and he smiled at that. I, people always smile. Um, and I know y'all get tired of me saying it, but nah. it makes me smile. Keep bringing it. <laughs> uh, I said, when I preached my first sermon series, uh, it was basically adaptations of six of the chapters in your book, What's So Amazing About Grace. Because as I read it the summer before launching our church, I reread the book. Uh, I realized, I, I have handwritten notes in, in the jacket cover of my copy uh, that I made late one night by, by a campfire at South Mountain State Park. Rusty Andrews and I took our little boys, four-year-olds, they were th- four, I think, 
Riker and Dylan camping there. And I, we stayed up late reading by the campfire, and I jotted out the outline to the sermon series. Mm. That would have been July or August of that summer because I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me directly as I was reading this book, found this church mm. on the grace of Jesus Christ available to all and his lavishness with which he wants to pour it out on everyone. Do, do not be misunderstood. Be clear to start the church. And so I, he, he seemed gratified by that. He probably hears a story like that at every book event he goes to. Um, but I thought you all might enjoy hearing that founding story. Mm-hmm. I, it gave me glee. I still have the, the handwritten uh, manuscript <clears throat> of my first sermon, uh, October 18th, 19th. 88 and it was just basically grace 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 you can do nothing to make god love you more than he already does you can do nothing to make god love you less than he already does that is available to you step inside of it live in it through jesus christ i didn't say exactly those words i don't know what i said but uh, it was just six weeks of Jesus stories about his grace. Hmm. So it just did my heart good to, uh, to meet him in person and be able to say that. I hope it blessed him. Hmm. But it caused me to pull the book off the shelf. And so that'll be holiday rereading for me. And I thought, so I wanted to recommend the book to you all. Um, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey. Um, uh, and... and I thought I'd just read a couple of things that that set the table for it. Um, He says, I I heard a a true story that I told in my book, The Jesus I Never Knew. I heard it from a friend who works with the Down and Out in Chicago. Here's the story. A prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men interested in kinky sex. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. Mm. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They'd just make me feel worse. Hmm. End of story. Yancey writes, What struck me about my friend's story is that women much like this prostitute fled toward Jesus, not away from him. Hmm. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. Has the church lost that gift? Evidently, the down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. What has happened? The more I pondered this question, the more I felt drawn to one word as the key. All that follows in this book uncoils from that one word, grace. That's the opening of this this book. He also says later in his uh, opening chapter, I attended a Bible college. Years later, I was sitting next to the president of that school on an airplane. He asked me to assess my education. 
Some good, some bad, I replied. I met many godly people there. In fact, I met God there. Who can place a value on that? And yet I later realized that in four years I learned almost nothing about grace. It may be the most important word in the Bible, the heart of the gospel. How could I have missed it? He invited me to speak to the students at chapel at the school where I had graduated from, and I gave that same conversation and offended the faculty. (laughs) Uh, I got letters suggesting I not be invited back, and one of them wrote to ask whether I should have phrased it differently. Shouldn't I have said that as a student I lacked the receptors to receive the grace that was all around me? (laughs) I thought hard about the question. Ultimately, however, I concluded that I had experienced as much ungrace on the campus of a Bible college as I had anywhere else in life. Hmm. A counselor, David Siemens, summed up his career this way. Many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness— and the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. Hmm. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. Hmm. Gordon MacDonald says, The world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You, don't, you need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. Where else can the world go for grace? And he says, As I look back on my own pilgrimage, marked by wanderings, detours, and dead ends, I see now what pulled me along was my search for grace. I rejected the church for a time because I found so little grace there. I returned because I found grace nowhere else. I have barely tasted of grace myself, have rendered less than I have received, and am in no wise an expert on grace. Those are, in fact, the very reasons that impel me to write. I want to know more, to understand more, to experience more grace. I dare not, and the danger is very real, write an ungracious book about grace. (laughs) (laughs) Except then, here at the beginning, that I write as a pilgrim qualified only by my craving for grace. And let me tell you, his pilgrim's journey is profound and was life-changing for me. Hmm. Tells a lot of his own experiences growing up in a Baptist church in the South and experiencing ungrace when it came to race. Um, I won't give out his most pointed story in that regard. But it led me to also, beside, uh, I took my hundred favorite books home when I uh, was finally granted space in my own house that's just mine, and I created a home study right before the shutdown, and I took home my hundred favorite books there. And beside what's so amazing about Grace, as I pulled it off the shelf uh, yesterday, uh, were two Brennan Manning books, and Mm -hmm. I have often, he is another mentor from a distance. I met him one time when I was a young man. And I refer to him as the Apostle of Grace. And mm-hmm. if you have not tripped into the writings of Brennan Manning, uh, you couldn't do any better this Christmas than to read the book that I just recommended to you and anything by Brennan Manning. Most people's favorite work of his is the Ragamuffin Gospel. The two that I pulled off my shelf, one is called A Glimpse of Jesus, 
subtitled The Stranger to Self-Hatred. I just paged through it today, Harrison, and a couple of its chapters are going to inform my sermons on the ministry of Jesus in January. And then his book, The Lion and the Lamb, The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus. Hmm. If you get through a Brendan Manning book, I promise you, your view of Jesus and the gospel will be wider and broader and more singularly fixated uh, and pulsating with his gracious love for you. Agreed. For sure. Quick question for you, Mike. If you put yourself back in that mindset of uh, just getting ready to launch your own church and you're Mm -hmm. reading this Philip Yancey book, what, what was it? Was there a, a particular, I know there's probably more than you could sum up super easily, but what was it about that work particularly that just lit a fire in your own imagination and your own vision for what you wanted the start of Lake Forest to be? What was it particularly about that that struck you? Thank you for that question. One, it, it, it he, he relentlessly throughout the book focuses on the person of Jesus and highlights that um, you can get morality elsewhere. You can see other miracle workers. <laughs> you can get spiritual, interesting teaching about the nature of reality. But that grace is the singularly most focused uniqueness of the revelation about the heart of God for us through Jesus Christ. And he builds that case over and over and I I didn't need convincing of that Mm -hmm. but what he gave me uh, was um, he gave me the priority of reading the gospels through that lens and being Mm -hmm. certain and he gave me the priority that we live such such shame filled and for some people self hatred Uh, uh, we are our own worst inner legalist toward ourselves. We accuse ourselves more than anyone else ever does. And we slip into, therefore, God must be thinking the same. And therefore, we fail to walk in the light of his approval, uh, his gracious lavishing of his affection and regard that is ours to be had all of the time. Mm. And that... I, if I if I overemphasize the ethics of Jesus, everyone's inner and outer legalist will beat themselves up with it, and uh, that you, yes, that needs to be taught. I'm not talking about not teaching the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, but the centrality of grace that goes back to again the the rediscovery at the Reformation of the God that that's at the heart of Protestant Christianity, and so that's in our theology, especially as Presbyterians. Um, who regard ourselves as having the highest form of Reformation theology Yeah, uh, for what that's worth. The second thing that it struck me with Harrison is that in my own experience in the Christian faith to that point in time, I was 32, I, no, I was t- 32 th- turning 33. Um, t- t- my own experience is um, the it was unusual to find a fellowship or a minister, um, or a small group that um, majored on lavishing, handing out the grace of God through Jesus. Mm. Uh, Most often, the fear is 
if if we emphasize grace and the gospel, that people will uh, presume upon grace. And the Apostle Paul addresses that. You know, oh, should I just sin all the more? Should sin abound? So grace abounds. That's mm-hmm. in the yep. Gospel of Romans, the, the book of Romans. And uh, he says, of course not. <laughs> and he actually almost uses a curse word there in the Greek. But uh, the Apostle Paul, in his understanding of Jesus, still, however, keeps on calling it the gospel of grace, the gospel of grace. And I had experienced such fear in my evangelical circles of giving people permission to presume upon grace that it was too hidden. Uh, And so I determined that if people would mistake me for anything, I'd like to be mistaken for a a sub-apostle of grace, and I'd like for our church uh, to hold out Jesus and his grace above anything else. That if people were going to stumble over everything, I'd rather it be the grace of God through Jesus Christ not the ethics. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, that's that. It's cool because you see that come up so much, even in even in Jesus' own parables. He knew the pitfalls of. Uh, that's the 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 B part of the um, the prodigal son story, right? You have the son. That's the yes. part we all celebrate. The yes. son came home. Yes. This is amazing. But in the background, there's this other son who's like, "I've been doing all the right stuff. What?" What? Yeah. What? And Jesus knew even even then, that's something we try to teach our kids that we try to learn as kids. We we say over and over, life isn't fair. And there's part of that for us that it's just hard to let go sometimes when it comes to grace. They're talking about this, the story you shared at the beginning of Philip Yancey and why sometimes the church is a place like that. It's just hard for us in our humanness sometimes to just be like, I've been trying so hard. Why should that person yeah. who's been living... A, this decadent life of sin or excess received the same grace that we got. And Jesus knew even 2000 years ago that that was going to be a pit, pitfall for us and spoke to it so clearly in a number of his parables were about that exact thing. There's one about a worker who worked all day and then someone comes right at the end of the day and works a little bit and they get the same payment. And it's Jesus is going like, let, I will be the decider of what's fair yeah. because in my eyes, I just want everybody to be part of my yes. family. So. And the Pharisees gnashed their teeth when he told that mm-hmm. parable. Well, I feel like I've struggled. Um, uh, I'm frustrated here at the end of this podcast. I cannot summon in the moment eloquence up to to match my joy at the grace of Jesus and my everlasting desire for others to even glimpse the tiniest bit uh, like like Philip Yancey <clears throat> I haven't I don't understand it fully I sure haven't given it as much as I should and have had opportunity to and I'm only a pilgrim just starting to experience the grace of Jesus Christ but what I have experienced is real it is tangible to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like I live in the bubble of it, and it, I'm just always basically in my teaching hoping that that I, through my teaching of the Word about Jesus, basically I have my hand out, uh, and I'm just trying to put each person in the room's hand into the hand of Jesus mm-hmm. <laughs> to ex- experience that same grace. So that was my fun experience this week of meeting Philip Yancey 
it reminded me, um, and honestly, as as uh, well, just yesterday, uh, I, Caesar and I met to outline the January sermon series for our family of churches, and it reminded me. That's why I went and paged through these books because I'm going. I am recommitting myself. I guess is what I'm saying. It was a recapturing of my best self, hmm. uh, and that's who I hope to start the year as as I'm teaching about Jesus. Can't wait. Well, we thank you guys for joining us again today on the Ask LFC podcast. Uh, again, send us a question or two. We'd love to chat with you with you uh, as you listen, and uh, we will see you guys next time. Yes, after we all enjoy the string trio this Sunday. That's I can't, right. I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome.